Welcome to Rosalind Franklin University College of Pharmacy Top 200 Drugs Podcast. This podcast is produced by the pharmacy faculty members to supplement study material for students learning the top 200 drugs. We're hoping that our real-life clinical pearls and discussions from practicing pharmacists will help you study for your next drug quiz. No participants have any conflicts of interest to disclose. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to treat a particular patient. This information should not be used in lieu of the judgment of a healthcare provider. This podcast is copyright Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science. And now, on to the show. Welcome to week 10 of Rosalind Franklin University's Top 200 Drugs podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Kane. I'm Dr. Patel. And I'm Dr. Michener. And today we'll be talking about agents for COPD and asthma. Most of these agents are inhaled. There are several different types of inhalers available, such as meter dose inhaler, which is um, shortly known as MDI, dry powder inhaler, hand inhaler, and nebulizer solutions. However, certain products have oral formulations such as tablets and solution available. So one of the advantages of having an inhaled version as opposed to a tablet is that we get local effect and we can minimize the adverse effect profile of that drug. So we see this a lot with our inhaled corticosteroids, for example, where we get a lot of concentration to the lung and not a lot to other places of the body. So how true is that phrase, local delivery, Dr. Kane? So it is local to the lung tissue, but you do get a little bit of systemic absorption of the drug. So you can see some systemic side effects. Pharmacists are are really the key players that are going to help you use these inhalers. No other healthcare provider really takes the time to to really learn the use of spacers and the inhalers themselves. And and there's uh, several inhalers, and they come in many shapes and sizes. And if you know your patient is on certain brand of inhaler, they can go on their website. Usually these manufacturers post videos of how to utilize these inhalers and devices. So the first drug that we're going to be talking about today is albuterol, and it has three different brand names, Pro-Air HFA, Ventolin HFA, and Proventil HFA. So Dr. Missioner, how do these work? So um, they work on the beta-2 receptor, which is located in the lungs, and they're agonizing it. So they're acting on it and and stimulating that receptor to open up the the lung. So did you say beta-2 receptor? Beta-2. So how can I remember beta-1 versus beta-2 receptors? One heart, beta-1, two lungs, beta-2. So Dr. Patel, how is albuterol formulated? The albuterol is available in various formulation, meter dose inhaler, oral solution, there is nebulizer solution, regular as well as extended release tablets, and IV solution. So although we have a number of different formulations, clinically we really only use nebulized solution and the meter dose inhaler. Is that correct? That is correct. Those are the most commonly used formulations. So what what kind of adverse effects might we see from albuterol? So adverse effects might include anxiety or or jitters. And some some patients may experience arrhythmias, although studies haven't shown that they have been clinically significant um, enough to necessarily stop the albuterol. And in the ICU, sometimes albuterol can be used in patients who have hyperkalemia or a high potassium level. The reason for that is that stimulation of the beta receptor with albuterol can drive potassium into the cells and out of the blood. So Dr. Patel, what are some important patient counseling points with albuterol or Pro-Air, Ventolin, Proventil? So even though we mentioned that MDI and nebulizer solution are the most commonly used, the MDI still tops the nebulizer solution. So when your patient is getting 
the uh, MDI inhaler, make sure you ask the patients to shake the canister really well before using. They also need to clean or wash the mouthpiece between each use. And if they're using the new box of inhaler or they haven't used the inhaler for more than two weeks, it's important for them to prime it. So just two quick sprays in the air will prime the inhaler and patient will make sure that they're getting the medication. And a very important thing to explain patient that this medication is quick acting. So when they have short of breath, this is going to come to their rescue. And that's why this is a rescue inhaler. So this isn't necessarily an inhaler that a patient would use to control their asthma. It's something that they would use when they're having problems breathing. Is that right? Uh, that is very correct, Dr. Kane. So moving on to our next agent, leave albuterol. The brand name is Zopinex. Now this sounds an awful lot like albuterol. It sure is. <laughs> it's the same chemical structure, um, but it, it is the active isomer of albuterol. So why would someone choose leave albuterol instead of albuterol? I have the same question, Dr. Kane, because if I remember correctly, leave albuterol is more expensive than albuterol. What do you have to say, Dr. Mishner? Well, I can tell you that when leave albuterol was uh, released, it also comes in NEBS. In addition to the inhaler, um, all of the physicians basically stopped prescribing albuterol. And they, um, in any patient, they just started to use um, leave albuterol, saying that, that patients across the board would have uh, less uh, tachycardia, when in fact, if you look at the studies, there is uh, some decreased tachycardia, but really when uh, studies were, were done, it has similar efficacy to that of albuterol, and really um, the cost is certainly different, but the only uh, subset of patients that they were able to show a significant difference was in pediatric patients. And Dr. Mishner, if I recall, the significant difference was only a couple beats per minute of heart rate. Is that correct? That's correct. So it's really not um, that significant. But certainly in your wallet, it, it's much more significant. And I'll bet that the clinical studies didn't take into account the tachycardia at the drug counter when they saw the price tag. All right, moving on to our next agent is ipratropium brandium atrovent. Dr. Patel, how does atrovent or ipratropium work? So ipratropium is an anticholinergic agent. It basically blocks the action of uh, acetylcholine at parasympathetic sites in the bronchial smooth muscles, and eventually this leads to bronchodilation. However, one thing to keep in mind, this is a short um, or rapid-acting agent. So instead of working at the beta-2 receptor, it's an anticholinergic. That is correct. So when do we see ipratropium used? Usually it's used um, for uh, COPD or bronchitis um, or in uh, use for emphysema. And we'll, we'll learn a little bit later that it's also used in combination with other products. And it comes as a meter dose inhaler in a nebulizer solution and even a nasal spray. But the nasal spray is for rhinitis as opposed to asthma or COPD. So because it's an anticholinergic, we could probably predict some of the adverse effects that we would see from ipratropium or atrovent. Yes, we definitely see some of the anticholinergic type side effects. The good thing about is that it is an inhale agent, so as we talked earlier, it doesn't have much systemic absorption. However, the side effects can include headache, dizziness, blurry vision, dry mouth, unpleasant taste. So one important uh, point to talk to your patient is to avoid direct eye contact with this medication. And going along the same line, ask your patient to wash their hands before and after each use. And I've never used ipratropium, but I've definitely heard that one of the most common adverse effects is the dry mouth. If you think about it, you're squirting this anticholinergic right into your mouth, so you'd expect to have some of those local effects of the ipratropium or atrovent. 
Moving on to our next medication. It's really the uncle of ipratropium. The generic name is teotropium. Brain name is Spiriva. So teotropium or Spiriva is a long-acting version of ipratropium. So it's a long-acting anticholinergic that's taken once a day. It has a very unique um, mechanism of delivery in that actually get patients get confused by in that it comes as inhalation capsules that you then place into an inhaler. So you have to tell them not to put the capsules in their mouth for just taking orally. So you said it's an inhalation capsule, so you don't swallow it. Correct. You put it in an inhaler? And so the inhaler punctures the capsule and releases the active agent um, into the person's lung. So Dr. Patel, do we see any different adverse effects with teotropium or spiriva that we did or did not see with ipratropium or atrovent? The adverse effect profile is similar to ipratropium. So as far as patient education, we would probably want to also wash our hands, not touch your eyes after use, and educate the patient that they could have a lot of dry mouth with the, with this medication. And another important point to drive home is, unlike ipratropium, this is a longer-acting agent, so this would act as the controller medication or the maintenance medication, versus ipratropium is a short and rapid-acting that will be a rescue inhaler. So our next medication is a combination of the two medications that we previously talked about, albuterol and ipratropium, as a combination product. The brand name is Combivent or Duoneb. So, Dr. Mishner, when do we see combivant or duoneb used in the hospital setting? Usually to control uh, COPD, and and you do see it about every four to six hours, generally um, in the neb form, or they might, um, when the patient is able to uh, use the inhaler um, well, they, they'll switch to the combivent uh, meter dose inhaler. So I love clever brand names, and these two are probably one of my favorite brand names. So combivent is a metered dose inhaler, and it's combo combination product of albuterol and ipratropium and vent, like vent your lungs. The same is true with the nebulizer form, or duoneb. Duo, two products, neb, nebulizer. So now you can remember which one is the nebulizer, which one is the metered dose inhaler. That is very cool, Dr. King. So before we move on, I wanted to mention one very interesting warning with albuterol ipratropium combination with duoneb or combivent, and that said it shouldn't be used in patients who have an allergy to soy or peanuts. This is interesting because the individual products don't have this warning, but the combination product does. So when do you think you use duoneb versus albuterol? So at least in the hospital, in patients who have a lot of respiratory distress, we want to give them as many different types of mechanisms to cause bronchodilation. So we have the anticholinergic effect of ipratropium, and we have the beta-2 agonism effect of albuterol. And also on the outpatient setting in patients who have more severe COPD, we would see the combination product used more often than just the individual products alone. So moving on to our next agent, uh, the generic name is fluticasone. The brand name is Flovent or Flonase. And this is a whole other category of medication which falls under inhaled corticosteroids. The way this medication works is it reduces inflammation by reducing production of inflammatory mediators. And this creates widening of the airways or air sacs and reduces the spasm um, that that occurs in response to the allergens. Interesting. So I bet this works pretty quickly in patients who are having respiratory distress. 
That is not true, Dr. Kane. This medication is actually a controller medication. So what you want to tell your patient is that this medication is going to work over the time, unlike albuterol or ipratropium, which is short or rapid acting. Why would we have a patient on inhaled fluticasone or Flovin? Really, it's, it's over the long haul to control their asthma. And also, especially in patients with very severe COPD, it's somewhat of a controversial topic, but it can also be used in COPD as well. So what kind of adverse effects do we see with fluticasone or Flovent? One of the things that you see is rush or, or candidiasis. It's an infection, a super infection, I guess you'd call it, in the mouth where uh, there's an overgrowth of candida, which is uh, fungus. And so um, you need to have patients rinse their mouth with water and gargle uh, and spit after each use. A lot of uh, patients on the, the nasal spray report having nosebleeds as well. One important counseling point that I tell patients is that they should be using their fluticasone inhaler before they brush their teeth. Hopefully they're brushing their teeth twice a day, so they're also washing their mouth out twice a day after they use the fluticasone inhaler. So the next medication is Mometazone, and it has a couple different brand names. The nasal spray is Nasonex, and the inhaled form is Asminex. So it's another either nasal or oral corticosteroid, and the mechanism of action is similar to fluticasone, as we discussed. So really, this has the same adverse effect profile. It's used in the same type of patient population. So its use is very similar to that of fluticasone or flovin. The next agent is fluticasone in combination with salmeterol. The brand name is Advair. So what is salmeterol, Dr. Kane? So salmeterol is a long-acting beta agonist, which is similar to albuterol, except it lasts for 12 hours instead of 4 to 6 hours. And Advair is interesting because it comes as two different types of products. We see it as a metered dose inhaler, less commonly, but more commonly we see it as a dry powder inhaler, which looks like a purple disc, which is why we call it a discus. So how is that different from a regular inhaler? So the Advair discus is a dry powder inhaler. So the patient actuates the inhaler, puts their mouth on it, and inhales, and as soon as they inhale, the dry powder enters their lungs and has its effect. So as far as the adverse effect profile, we could probably anticipate what kinds of adverse effects we would see with Advair or fluticasone salmeterol because we've already discussed many of these agents already. So some of the side effects are similar to albuterol. We talked about tachycardia, palpitations, jitters or tremors, and hypertension. On top of it, the fluticasone is the inhaled corticosteroid. So remember the long discussion about oral brush, and also explain your patient to wash their mouth after every single time they use Advair. So as we discussed, it does come as a metered dose inhaler, but we more commonly see the purple Advair discus. The discus actually comes with three different colored labels that correspond to three different types of doses. So just like a stoplight, we have a green, yellow, and red. Green is the lowest dose, so it's for the least severe asthma. Yellow is the medium dose, which is probably the most common formulation that we see. Then finally, we have a red label, represents the highest dose. When I say low, medium, and high, I'm talking about the inhaled corticosteroid dose, whereas the salmeterol has the same amount in each of the formulations. So because we have two drugs in this combination, it sounds like it would be a pretty potent drug for patients who are having an acute asthma exacerbation. Is that the case? No, again, you're wrong, Dr. Kane. This medication is not intended for rescue use. This is a controller medication only. So whether or not the patient has symptoms of shortness of breath, they should be taking this all the time so that they don't have shortness of breath in the future. Everyday BID. So the next medication is very similar. The generic is formoterol combined with budesonide under a brand name of Simbacort. So this is a long-acting beta agonist and 
inhaled corticosteroid combination for um, use both in asthma and uh, COPD. The formoterol being the long-acting beta agonist, and the budesonide, which is an inhaled corticosteroid. The combination product, which is Symbicord, is only available in the MDI, so the HFA-style inhaler. So we don't have any discus with this formulation? No discus, unfortunately. So many patients believe that when they're prescribed the steroid, that it's going to cause their muscles to get really big and that they'll be stronger. Is that the case? No, I, I don't think that you can expect to be doing the next Tour de France. And that's really because the inhaled corticosteroids don't, aren't androgenic. That is, that they don't work in the same way through the same mechanism as a, an androgenic steroid. Well, that concludes week 10 of this Rosalind Franklin University Top 200 Drugs podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. King. Dr. Michener. And I'm Dr. Patel. Remember to study hard. This has been an educational production by the Rosalind Franklin University College of Pharmacy. Theme music for this podcast is an excerpt of Metro Mix by Seasoul, released under Creative Commons.